Pushkin. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. In a few weeks, my friends and I are traveling to see a once-in-a-lifetime event. On April 8th, we're headed south to check out the solar eclipse. And as usual, while we travel, my entire crew will be staying in an Airbnb. Staying in an Airbnb always makes me feel a bit more at home when I travel. But during this trip, I started to think more about what would be going on with my home while I was away. Because when you're away from home, your place could be an Airbnb. Lots of people stay at an Airbnb without realizing that their space could be an Airbnb too. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What if there was someone who wanted to help you find a job? Choose Express Employment Professionals, and that's exactly what you'll get. They can help you find work in any industry. With just one interview at Express, you have a connection to endless jobs. Whether you want a contract job, a new full-time role, or a summer job, choose Express Employment Professionals. Express has more than 860 locally owned locations and no fees for job seekers. Visit expresspros.com today to find a location near you. Welcome to the first of some special episodes of The Happiness Lab. It felt like I could only use half my lung capacity. The now global spread of coronavirus is affecting all of us. Keep a safe distance with other people. Stay at home. This disease has brought a whole host of medical, economic, and political problems. But it's also given us a ton of uncertainty and anxiety, which are beginning to have an enormous negative impact on our well-being. But whenever I'm confused or fearful... I always remember that looking for answers in evidence-based science is the best thing to do. And that's why I'm hoping this podcast can help. For those of you that haven't listened before, I'm Dr. Laurie Santos. I'm a professor of psychology at Yale University, where I also live on campus with students. In the past two weeks, university life as I know it has been totally upended. We've halted research and classes and have told our students that they can't come back from spring break. They just have to leave all their stuff where it is and complete their studies online. The whole process has been stressful, scary, and really sad. My staff and I spent the last week dealing with problem after problem, buying flights for students who couldn't afford it, and fighting through a web of emergency issues. And as of today, nearly every one of my 500 students is gone. Buildings that usually hum with the sounds of hundreds of young people will now be empty for who knows how long. It's eerie and really lonely. And so I did what I'm guessing many of you are doing right now. I began panic scrolling, surfing my social media feeds, but it didn't provide the distraction I was craving. The latest news wound up making me even more anxious. I saw articles about panicked shoppers fighting over toilet paper. But then I saw a video that was a little more hopeful. Italians who were quarantined in their homes had opened their windows to join together in song. It was just after that singing video that I saw an article in the Washington Post written by one of my friends, Jamil Zaki. Jamil is a professor of psychology at Stanford University and author of the book, The War for Kindness, 
building empathy in a fractured world. He's also genuinely one of the funniest and most optimistic people I've ever met. Jamil's article was the first real breath of hope I'd seen in a while. He argued that our main weapon against the spread of coronavirus, social distancing, doesn't need to break the social bonds that are so vital to our happiness. With my entire community kicked off campus, social distance is a challenge that I'm really struggling with right now. And it's probably a challenge you're facing, or will soon be facing. So I decided to call Jamil to get his advice and record our conversation so you could learn from him too. I started by asking about the videos I'd just seen. As an empathy researcher, Jamil has the scientific scoop on how people actually react in a crisis. His work shows that supermarket fistfights over canned goods aren't as common as we think. Disasters and catastrophes are so interesting for this reason. Many of us have a stereotype that when the lights turn off and the rules are gone, that we'll like tear each other apart. That's what movies like The Purge are about, that just under the surface, we have this kind of violent instinct towards each other. It turns out that basically the exact opposite is true. When disasters happen, like earthquakes or terrorist attacks or giant blizzards, people pour out of their homes to help each other. It's what Rebecca Solnit calls a carnival of compassion. So you basically see people helping strangers in every way they can. They line up for hours to donate blood. They overrun charities and then start their own. They help people and ignore boundaries of race and class and all other social divisions that sometimes would separate them. Because almost as though a disaster in putting us all at risk makes us realize how much we have in common. But what's really scary about the coronavirus situation is that that's not happening, right? It, this is the paradox of, and really, you know, adds to the tragedy of an outbreak like coronavirus, is that we, we have these deep instincts that when things are going really poorly, when we're in, under stress, we have these deep instincts to seek out others for their help and to help them to use one of our greatest strengths, which is our connection to each other, in one of the toughest moments. But the thing about coronavirus and other epidemics is that they force us, for the interest of public health, to go exactly in the opposite direction, apart when we want to be together, when we most need to be together. That's what makes this so tragic at even another level. And I think you, you've you probably seen it at your university. I know we're now implementing social distancing, right? So my staff is just standing behind, you know, this big rope that says really stay super far away. And what's amazing is people just normally have a hard time with this. Like they want to walk up to each other and start talking. But I think in, in this moment, people really want like hugs and to be close to each other. And it seems pretty crazy. It's so weird to see people who are obviously struggling and you do, you have that impulse to reach out to them, to make contact, to lay hands on, right? To, to comfort each other. And you, we're being stripped of that possibility. It's, it's really, it really does double down, I think, on the damage of, of this epidemic because it's already scary. It's already killing people and scaring so many other people. But it also has the potential to have this long-term psychological mental health fallout from this increase in isolation. I mean, we know that loneliness is basically psychologically poisonous. Right? It produces depression and anxiety. It worsens our response to stress. It increases inflammation, worsens our cardiovascular health. I mean, it damages us in ways that are really quite long-lasting. And so to add 
a loneliness epidemic to the viral epidemic we're already living through is really, you know, it's it's dangerous. It's tragic. Yeah. I mean, loneliness is bad, but the flip side is that social connection can heal us in these incredible ways. So talk about some of the research that's shown how powerful social connection can be, even in times of like physical and emotional trauma. I would say especially in those times, yeah. right? So um, people, when they're going through stress, if they feel as though there are loved ones around them, people who care for them, they are able to bounce back more quickly from those stressors. They experience them as less psychologically damaging. They recover from trauma more easily. There's even evidence from the brain that when people go through pain, for instance, like getting zapped with a painful electric shock, that they experience those shocks as less painful if they're holding the hand of somebody who cares for them. Right? So at a physical and psychological level, that connection really buffers us against suffering and against anxiety and against many of the experiences that we're having right now. But an additional thing that's really terrible about this virus is that it, it, it makes us avoid our fellow man in a different way, right? We have to have this physical distance. But in some sense, the scariest thing for me is that other people become a threat. It's, it's like we're living in a slow motion zombie movie, right? The people who you love, the people who you typically would want to be around, you have to kind of look at them and say, are they one of the infected, right? And it's, it's, not, it's not a great feeling. I mean, I was, uh, went to the grocery store and was panic shopping for toilet paper like everyone else. And somebody sneezed in a crowded aisle. And it was like they, they were going to be gang tackled, right? I mean, it's, it's frightening because... There are vulnerable people in all of our lives and we want to protect them. But in order to protect them, basically the threat becomes other people. So as you say, it's not just that we're distanced, it's that we're fearing each other. And as, as you know, this also can exacerbate some of the divisions that are already between us. There's been xenophobia and racism attached to some of the, you know, some of the ways that people are talking about this virus, which often happens when people are scared. When they feel as though they're anxious, they often brighten the lines between us and them, which is, you know, an, yet another way that this outbreak can be psychologically damaging. The other thing that's really awful about this virus is that the people that are most physically susceptible to coronavirus also seem to be the people that are most mentally susceptible to things like loneliness. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, especially older adults you know, suffer from an increase in loneliness and also suffer more from the consequences of loneliness, including the sort of added cardiovascular and immune risks. So, for instance, a giant meta-analysis recently demonstrated that uh, sort of chronic severe loneliness among older adults was significantly increasing mortality among a, a older adults, right? So we've got this really, you know, possibility that feeling deeply isolated can actually shorten one's life, which again is is really difficult given that, you know, older adults in our culture are getting this kind of double whammy, you know, this sort of both from the disease burden and from the burden of isolation. So that's the problem so many of us are facing, social isolation and the loneliness that it brings. As I've said in previous editions of The Happiness Lab, loneliness is as bad for our physical health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, which means that as we isolate ourselves to fight this awful virus, we might be harming ourselves in a different way. And that's why I was so hopeful after reading Jamil's article. He's come up with some practical solutions, ones that he's implementing with his own friends and family, for how we can physically isolate in a way that doesn't feel so socially isolated. And I want to turn to those next. 
When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to find the right professionals for your team, faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that some small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. So they're constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a new feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash THL. That's linkedin.com slash THL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. In a few weeks, my friends and I are traveling to see a -a once-in-a-lifetime event. On April 8th, we're headed south to check out the solar eclipse. And as usual, while we travel, my entire crew will be staying in an Airbnb. Staying in an Airbnb always makes me feel a bit more at home when I travel. But during this trip, I started to think more about what would be going on with my home while I was away. Because when you're away from home, your place could be an Airbnb. So why not consider becoming a host yourself? Because if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you pretty much have an Airbnb. Hosting is a great way to earn some extra money. Plus, hosting is a lot easier than you might think. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to Jamil so badly and to share this conversation with you is that he's surprisingly hopeful that we can continue our meaningful interactions in a time of social distancing. I totally get how lonely it feels to be isolated, but the great news is that Jamil's work offers us some hope. I do think that This is going to be a hard time for many people, and it's going to be a lonely time for many people. But one thing that I'm trying to remember myself and tell as many people as possible is that, you know, actually, we're all going through something pretty similar. You know, you might be holed up in your apartment working from home, feeling confused and scared and and lonely. But guess what? So are the other people who are normally at your office. So is your third grade best friend, you know, so is your cousin, right? I mean, we have more in common with more people than we usually do. This is, in a way, a vast shared experience. And if we could acknowledge it that way and try to truly experience it together, I think that we'd be able to cultivate more social connection than we realize, right? When you talk with somebody, even if both of you feel anxious, a lot of things happen. One, you realize that your experience is shared. You're not alone in feeling what you're feeling. In fact, maybe that feeling brings you together. You express care for one another and you feel supported and you feel able to support somebody else. Oftentimes, comforting someone else is one of the best ways to be comforted yourself because in doing so, you locate 
a strength and calm that you didn't realize you had for the benefit of somebody else. I think we all share that instinct, but then when we try to connect, we, we do it in a way that provokes more anxiety. Like for me, I'm panic scrolling, right? <laughs> Which makes me feel connected to the other people on Facebook, sort of, but it also really increases our anxiety. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I've panic scrolled a fair amount myself recently. Panic scrolling, first of all, is an overload of really anxiety-provoking information all at once. It's like a tsunami of just distressing facts uh, and, and figures. But I do think that there are ways that we can more intentionally engage in ways that build social connection rather than just making us feel even more alone and worked up. And I think ironically, right, a lot of us have spent most of the 21st century blaming technology for like tearing apart our social fabric. And right now, it might be our best shot for keeping that social fabric together, right? So I write a lot in, in my book about how technology can build empathy. And a lot of it really depends on the way that we use it. So around moments like this around the coronavirus and social distancing, one thing that I think we could really try to pay attention to is how can we use technology to have the types of interactions that we would have in person, right? So we don't normally just scroll through each other's minds, right? We interact live and try to share experiences together, right? So I think that FaceTime, Zoom in these moments are terrific, right? But not just using those technologies to like check in and say, ask people how they're doing. We should do that, but also just to hang around together, right? I mean, when we have a research meeting in person, right? We don't just talk about work and then leave. We dawdle, you know, we kibitz, we goof off together. And those in-between moments are what matter most sometimes to our sense of connection to each other. So my thing has been, let's try to get online and do nothing together. Watch a TV show with your cousin or, um, or go on FaceTime with somebody and make the same meal together and then drink some wine together, right? I mean, my lab, you know, we have a coffee room where we all used to just kind of hang out. And so we've created a Zoom channel that's just called The Coffee Room, right? It's just for people to take a break together, right? So I think that if we can use technology to recreate at least some of the informality and sense of togetherness we have in the analog world, that, that would be one really helpful strategy. What's so funny about the, this idea to do more of our social events via Zoom and things like that is that our workplaces have figured it out, right? We instantly translate to doing like, you know, distance learning or kind of distance like meetings, but we forget that we can do our social events at distance too. I know, and it, it doesn't feel as natural, right? I mean, I think that we're used to using technology to work, not to live. And I think a lot of us have the stereotype that technology is kind of anti-social. And I think that this moment is going to require us to really try to get over that perception and challenge it and push on it and see how much we can just be there with each other online. I mean, this even goes for kids, right? I mean, so schools are closing and a lot of us are going to be hanging out with our kids while they're isolated too. And that's, I mean, if it's hard for us, imagine how hard it is for them, right? Kids depend on their social interactions to like build their sense of self. So, I mean, one thing that we're doing is with some of our kids' really good friends, we're buying the same color. Our kids are very young, so we're buying the same coloring books. We're buying the same games. And we're going to try to see whether we can do FaceTime playdates where, again, it's a co-activity. It's not just talking because, you know, a two-year-old and another two-year-old aren't necessarily going to make scintillating conversation for hours, but maybe they can compare what colors they choose to draw the unicorn that they're working on. 
Yeah, but the adults don't have to make scintillating conversation either, right? I mean, you forget that you can just plop down and like watch RuPaul's Drag Race with someone <laughs> else, but just over FaceTime. Exactly. Yeah. And I think we should lower our expectations for maybe that's another issue with online interaction is we don't just over professionalize it. We over pressure it. We feel as though we should only be interacting so long as there's something to say. But that's not what we do in real life. So I just want us to bring the casualness and the informality of life offline into our technological spaces. I think that's a really great shot we have for retaining connection right now. So what do we know scientifically about whether or not this technology works? Is there research showing that you can get this kind of empathic connection from people online just as much as in real life? Yeah, I mean, I think that, again, we have stereotypes about online connections and we feel as though they're necessarily shallow or it's just a bunch of people posting sepia-toned selfies or pictures of their last meal or whatever. But there's a long tradition of people using the internet to find real deep connections, maybe connections they can't find offline. So one example of this that I write about in my book is rare illness communities. So it turns out that rare illnesses are any illness that affects less than one in 1,000 people, but there are hundreds of rare illnesses, which means paradoxically, some like big proportion of, of our community has an illness where their friends and neighbors don't know much about that illness and don't share their experiences. Some of those folks also have to self-quarantine for reasons that have to do with those illnesses. So they can be extremely isolated. But many of those folks take to online communities like Facebook groups or uh, standalone websites like rareconnect.org. And there's a lot of evidence that on those communities, people don't just share like information about the latest treatments or whatever. They share their stories and it's an opportunity for them to feel seen. And you can think of them as basically oases of empathy in a desert of connection for a lot of people. And it's not just people with illnesses. There are a lot of us who have parts of our identity that we don't feel comfortable sharing with the people in our lives. And ironically, the anonymity of being online actually makes some people feel free to express vulnerabilities that they don't feel like they can talk about in other settings. So there is a tradition of real, true, and deep empathy on the internet. It's one that we will all have to tap into more now. You've seen examples of this even at your university where folks are using technology to bring students together. That's right. Yeah. So I teach a little seminar for Stanford freshmen called Becoming Kinder. And it's all about designing experiences and interventions to help people tap into their really deep-seated desire to help with and connect with one another. And so, of course, when coronavirus hit and we were all meeting by Zoom, the first thing we were talking about is how do we recover this? And, and they spontaneously said, well, you know what? We eat together all the time. You know, the dining halls are sort of the, the um, arteries of social life on a college campus. Why do we need to be eating alone just because we're in different parts of the country? So they've now created, but it's, it's, it's awesome. I mean, they've created dining halls that are virtual and they've created dorm lounges that are virtual as well. So they actually do different types of hanging out in different, in different uh, places. <laughs> I mean, this coronavirus thing is incredibly scary, both in terms of our physical health, but also in terms of our mental health. Are you hopeful that we can really use these technologies to bring ourselves together in this scary time? I mean, look, this is a scary time. It will continue to be scary and it will be sad. And I think that I'm hopeful that we can work together. I'm always hopeful that we can work together. That's what our species is best at. And I think that we can work together at this as well. I think it will be important to do a couple of things. One, to bring 
the most vulnerable people into these conversations, right? So my kids are digital natives. My college students are digital natives. My parents are not. And older people are not just the most susceptible to really dangerous symptoms from coronavirus. They're the most susceptible to isolation. So I think it's going to be important for us to be inclusive in the way that we generate whatever digital or um, other types of interactions we can manage. There's one more point that I want to make, which is that, you know, as you said earlier, one of the tough things about an epidemic is that we have this des desire to be kind, to help others when we need to, when, 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 we, when we're going through something together. That allows us to assert community, to gain control in a time that we otherwise feel helpless. And one of the things that is hard about this moment is that, that it's hard to find ways to help other people. But I want us to remember something. Social distancing, for many of us, is something that we're doing to be kind to others. Very young, healthy people don't have that high a risk of really developing severe symptoms from coronavirus. So their decision to engage in social distancing is really a way to protect vulnerable individuals in our community. So I think that one thing we can do is just remember that even our choice to be alone is something that we're doing together and it's something that we're doing for each other. I hope this conversation has given you some practical tips for fighting loneliness and feeling more connected in this tough time. Talking to Jamil over a video call certainly made a rough day brighter for me, and so I'm super grateful that he took the time to connect. We'll return for another special episode of The Happiness Lab really soon because I want to bring you even more science-backed tips for getting through this worrying time. I plan to talk with leading experts as often as I can over the coming weeks and to share all their important evidence-backed advice with you. But I also want to be sure we're tackling all the big challenges you're facing during this pandemic. So if there's a question or topic you think the Happiness Lab needs to address in the coming weeks, let me know. Tweet us at at Lori Santos or at Pushkin Pods. And please include the hashtag HappinessLabPod. Until then, stay safe. The Happiness Lab will be back soon. The Happiness Lab is made by me, Dr. Lori Santos. It's produced and co-written by Ryan Dilley. Our original music is by Zachary Silver. We're a Pushkin podcast, so special thanks go to Jacob Weisberg, Mia LaBelle, Heather Fain, Carly Migliori, Julia Barton, and the rest of the team. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to find the right professionals for your team, faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that some small businesses are wearing so many hats and may not have the time or resources to hire. So they're constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a new feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com THL. That's linkedin.com THL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Science suggests that both physical health and mental wellness are keys to happiness. And San Diego has the perfect formula of sun, sand, and easygoing vibes to lift your spirits. 
The people are welcoming, the scenery is beautiful, and there's a ton of fun experiences wrapped up in a small beach town feel. A trip to sunny San Diego can help you rest, recharge, and hopefully return to life feeling reinvigorated. Find your happiness at san diego.org today. Funded in part with City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Supercharge your work decks with AI powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You just describe your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides in seconds. Canva presentations has AI power built in, so you get AI assistance right where you need it, where you're designing your presentations. No more app switching. You can just stay focused on the presentation at hand with AI power inside your presentations. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, or you're an academic like me, nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.